0: Terry, uh, good morning. my name is drew bennett i 'm one of the pastors here um, gosh so fun i love I love baptisms. I man, I love the Sundays when we get to do that, uh, and so just i 'm overwhelmed with gratitude and joy, maybe because my team finally won a big game last night uh, and, and if, if you hear my voice being scratchy, a number of you have um, I was just had kind of a really long week this week, and a number of you have asked me if I'm feeling alright and I'm feeling great, and if you hear kind of exhaustion in my voice, it has nothing to do with spiritual things, it has to do with the fact that it's playoff baseball and college football, late night games, that have been taking too much of my attention to be quite honest, and so hopefully we can be coherent and uh, thoughtful. Uh, but good to see all of you this morning, and uh, what, a great, what a great time to be. For three weeks, actually for about a year now, we've been talking about the Gospel and working through the Gospel of Matthew. But for three weeks, we've been talking about the Kingdom of Heaven uh, as Jesus tells us about it in a series of parables that He preaches in the, in the middle of Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 13. Uh, so Jesus, the Gospel of Matthew really is a Gospel about the Kingdom of Heaven. That's really the theme that Matthew's centering His whole Gospel around. And, and yet, when He wants to tell us about the, God, the kingdom, about how you enter into it, about how it works, about how, you, you know, how it advances in the world. He tells us stories that we call parables, and so we are, we are in the middle of a ten-week series looking at some of the parables of Jesus out of the gospel of Matthew, and like I said, we've been, been consistently kind of been coming at this theme of the kingdom of heaven, and I, you know, I got to the beginning of my preparation for this week, and I thought, you know, isn't it enough already? I mean, good grief, enough, right? Again? I mean, the kingdom Again? And then I got to thinking, well, Jesus doesn't seem to think so. In Matthew chapter 13 alone, he tells seven parables consecutively, and six of them start with, the kingdom of heaven is like, or the kingdom of heaven can be compared to. So Matthew has compiled these stories of Jesus here in chapter 13 around the theme of the kingdom, because for Matthew, the kingdom is not some vague idea that holds very little practical importance. It is Matthew's gospel. Because it was Jesus's gospel. The kingdom of heaven isn't near isn't, is near is at hand, Jesus said. That was his message. And, and in all he said and did throughout his earthly ministry, Jesus was teaching about and putting on display the reality of the reign of God. So here we have another story, a rather brief one actually this morning, about the kingdom of heaven again. And so if you have a Bible and you'd like to turn there, we're going to be in Matthew chapter 13. Just three verses this morning, 31 through 33. If you don't have a Bible, don't worry. We've printed it for you in your worship folder. It will also be on the screen behind me so that you can follow along uh, as we read from the Scripture together this morning. So let's read, beginning in verse 31. He, Jesus, put another parable before them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it is grown, it is, the larger, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. He told them another parable, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till all was leavened. This is God's word. So one more time, what is the kingdom? That's what's before us. And I want to put it this way to you this morning. It is, you know, we could say it a number of different ways, but it is, among other things, a system of leadership. The kingdom of heaven is the order of life, community, etc., under Jesus' leadership. The story of the Bible is that God created all things good, but that humanity and the whole creation have gone rogue. That's what the Bible teaches That the first man and the first woman rejected God's sovereignty and leadership and the whole created order followed them in their rebellion so that order has given way to chaos. Relational intimacy has given way to alienation and disintegration. All things are just falling apart. Beauty has become ugliness. Joy is turned into despair. The fabric of reality has begun to disintegrate. That's what we read in the Bible and what we've been talking about. So Jesus... Comes to reestablish the sovereignty and leadership of God. Now, follow this. First, first over his people and then extending out beyond them to all of humanity and then eventually to the whole created order. That's the story. So, the kingdom of heaven was Jesus' invitation to his listeners to believe in him, to be reconciled to God through him, to follow him as his disciples and to live obediently under his authority, to joyfully receive him as a king, the king. And the result of this community of people who hear his words and put them into practice would be that God's justice, God's justice, his royal will, would begin to fill the earth through them. And that under God's leadership, under God's royal leadership, they would begin to bring justice to the world, that what was wrong would be made right, that what was broken would be Healed that what was crooked would be made straight, that what was diseased would begin to come back together in every sphere of life, at physical, emotional, social, psychological, political, all these different spheres. That's, see, that's the promise of the kingdom. It's, it's that under Jesus' leadership, through the power of His Spirit, the people of God can go out and can begin to bring the justice of God back to the creation. And so I read from a pastor a friend of ours last week, and I'll just quote him again because I think it's so, it's so powerful. He says... Imagine, imagine how would you like a world not just in which you can set up a business and not be taxed to the limit, but imagine a world without sorrow, hatred, or grief. Imagine a world without poverty, sickness, or injustice. Imagine a world without racial strife or loneliness. Imagine a world without guilt or unhappiness or mental illness or family breakdown. Imagine a world in which all the brokenness, emotional and social and spiritual and political and even physical has been completely eliminated because all of the opposition to God's love and justice, whether in the human heart, whether in your own body, or whether in all the human institutions, has been annihilated and put down so everything God wants for you is affected. Imagine a world like that. And Jesus says, that's what I'm here to bring. And that's what he means to teach us in these parables. He wants to teach us how to enter the kingdom that he's describing. And begin to experience its power in our lives now. To live eternal life. Eternal life is not a duration of life. It is a quality of life. Eternal life is not something that's waiting for us out there in the future. When we die and we go to heaven. We were talking about this this weekend. And we we sprout wings and we go and we fly and flutter around in the clouds and play harps for the rest of, you know, all of time. Eternal life, according to the Bible, is something you can enter into now. It's available now. It begins now. It's broken into time and space and human history now, and we can enter into it through the work of Jesus. So that's what this parable teaches us. How to enter, how to receive it, how to begin to experience the power and the life of the kingdom, and how to make sense of our present circumstances in light of the kingdom's advance. So, looking at this parable then. Three things I want us to see this morning as we talk about these things and you'll see them corresponding to the three points in the outline on the back of that sheet that has the scripture passage there. Just this. First, the way of the kingdom's advance. Secondly, the scope of the kingdom's advance. And third, the power of the kingdom's advance. So how does the kingdom advance? What's the way of the kingdom advance? Secondly, the scope or what? what? what, To what degree, to what limit does it advance? And then thirdly, the power or who? Who's behind the, kingdom, the kingdom's advance? So the way, the scope, and the power. Uh, let's just start right here with this idea of the way of the kingdom's advance. Now, what you need to see, if you think about the parable Jesus is telling here, is that the kingdom, in the context in which he is speaking to the crowd of people that are following him, the kingdom is not coming in the way that those who were around him were expecting. This little band of Jesus' followers were still, even up to the time of his arrest, they were still a very marginalized movement of people. Jesus seemed to be very content with that. And I'm sure that confused a lot of people. For example, and this is my favorite example because it makes sense of my life, um, if you read the Gospels carefully, you'll see that Jesus didn't spend a lot of time in the big cities of his day. He didn't go to the power cities. He mainly ministered in the backwater towns and the forgotten parts of Israel. In other words, you ready? Jesus didn't plan a church in the New York City of his day. He preferred places like Polk County. And at one point, even his brothers come to him and they try to encourage him. To go to Jerusalem during one of the feasts when there would be hundreds of thousands, if not you know, close to a million people there. And he says, go up there and do what you've been doing down here and show the crowds who you really are and begin to build some momentum for this thing. And he basically looked at them, his brothers, with a curt response and said, Man, that's just not my." I mean, if you think about it, Jesus is healing people. He's raising people from the dead. He's doing all kinds of. He's feeding five thousand people. I mean, he's doing miraculous kinds of things. But do you notice as you read the Gospels, every you know, so often he does these things, and then he'll tell those people, you know, shh, 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 shh. just don't really, let's not make a big deal out of this. I mean, there was so much that people expected of him that he didn't do. He didn't align himself with. Of the anti Roman movements like the Zealots or the Pharisees, he didn't go to Jerusalem and demand to be crowned king. And I'm sure that this prompted a lot of questions and confusions because I want to say it this way that the experience, the experience of those following him, did not match with their expectations. Their experience did not match with their expectations. You see, that's the problem with the kingdom of heaven, quite honestly. Is this upside down? It doesn't work the way we're used to. It doesn't meet our expectations, and it can cre- that can create a lot of frustration and confusion and disappointment. So let me frame everything we're going to say this morning by just asking, where does your, in your life, where does your experience not match your expectations? I mean, all that stuff about no hatred or grief or poverty or sickness or injustice, isn't that, that's great, and we hear that, amen, but the reality is, is we live in a world full of hatred and I mean, so where in your life does your experience not match your expectations? Where are, you, where are you discouraged by the lack of progress you've seen in your own life or in the life of your family and your friends? Where are you overwhelmed by your circumstances? Where, and, and, and here's the spiritual reality. Where are you living or where are you tempted to live in unbelief because your experience doesn't match up with the promises of God, with, with the expectation of what God's going to do and what it's like to live with. That's what this parable speaks to. That's, that's the, that is the reality this parable speaks to. And so there are a number of things we learn in these verses about the kingdom of heaven and the way of its working. So, just a couple of bullet points. And the principle behind this, what Jesus is trying to say, is don't be discouraged. Don't lose heart. Don't give up. Don't quit. And unless you understand the way of the kingdom's advance, you'll easily get discouraged and become, begin to live in unbelief. So, a couple of things we see here. And the first one is just this Jesus says, don't be discouraged if you're having to wait because the promises of God are so long in coming. Because the kingdom of heaven is slow. It's slow in coming. You see that? Again, we see the metaphor of farming and gardening for the third week in a row, and then also baking. And I don't know very much about it either, to be honest. But I do know this. I know it takes a long time to grow a tree. It takes a long time to bake a good loaf of bread. And if you think about it, the Scripture says that the Spirit's work in our life... The, the, the Bible calls that work fruit. It takes time to grow a pineapple. I have one growing in my yard. It takes time to grow a pineapple, but it also takes time to grow patience and kindness and joy and self-control. <laughs> Anybody with me on that? I mean, so, you know, if, if don't be surprised after 10 or 20 or 30 years, you're still looking for peace or self-control. It takes time. It takes time to parent kids towards obedience because there's a thousand... Thousands of different conversations that you have to have. Thousands of lessons that have to be learned. And I would say it takes time. It takes time to change the city. I mean, I, I had a membership class. And if you want to know the heartbeat of this place and what we're about, we are about how Winter Haven is going to be different for our grandchildren. Because we think it's going to take that long to get the work done. If not longer. But here's the thing we learned here is that God love. it seems, and what Jesus is teaching Not only does it take time, but that God loves to take his time. (laughs) He loves processes. He's not really into quick fixes, and so don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Don't give in to unbelief. Don't get impatient, because impatience is unbelief. The kingdom is slow in coming, but there's a second thing. And the second thing is just this. Don't get discouraged if you can't really see any evidence of the kingdom's advance, because the kingdom is hidden, Jesus says. It's hidden. It's imperceptible. It's under the radar. It's subversive and surprising. And this comes out in the metaphor of the leaven. I think the ESV does a great job at translating here what would otherwise be a strange idea. It literally says in verse 33 that the woman, uh, she took the leaven and she hid the leaven in the dough. She hid it there. And the lesson is just this, that leaven works mysteriously. It works its way through the rest of the dough, but it's invisible. It's not something you can watch happen. It just, you know, happens imperceptibly. And beyond your control. In John 3, Jesus talks about the work of the Holy Spirit. And he compares it to the wind that blows here and there, wherever it wishes. And then he says, here's how he describes it. He says, you can hear it. You can barely perceive it. But you don't see it and you can't control it. Jesus says, that's exactly how the kingdom of heaven advances and I think he's warning us, be careful. Be careful of constantly measuring the work of God. Uh, be careful of trying to quantify what is by definition invisible and mysterious and hidden and secret by assigning visible markers to it. I Do mean, you know what I mean by that? I mean, I, I, I know God is for me because... Fill in the blank. And if, and if he meets that expectation, then yeah, I feel pretty confidently about God being for me and God's obviously working and then... But if he's not, then I'm, I'm just convinced that he's against me. You know, I mean, this can be something as silly as, you know, we used to have a joke in our family that if you won the board game, obviously God's for you. I mean, God, you won the board game. You're, God is for you. I lost. God hates me. He hates me. I mean, that's a silly example of, of just what our hearts can do that we can assign. And, you know, and the obvious one to me, and I don't want to get in because I don't know, but, you know, the, one of the obvious ones to me is, well... You know, it, your, whatever your political bent or political stance is. Okay, well, wow. Well, there we have a, a liberal um, Congress. Well, man, God is obviously working. Or, we have a liberal Congress. God is obviously not working. You know, and what we need is to change that so that God can now begin to work in the way that I think He needs to work. And I, and I think Jesus is just saying, be careful that all of this trying to quantify and all this trying to measure and come up with these ways of... of Telling God how he must work really is unbelief because the desire to quantify measure is a desire for control. And the truth is, we have no idea all the ways that God is working all around us to bring about his purposes. It's like the wind, Jesus says. Blowing here and there, but you can't see it or control it. It's like the yeast that makes its way through the dough. But there's a third thing. And the third thing is just this. Don't be discouraged, Jesus goes on to say, if you feel weak or helpless or overwhelmed by your circumstances. Verse 31, Jesus says that the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed. And this would have been something everyone listening to Jesus understood. You know, very similar to some of the saints. Jamie Winfrey is the best person I've ever met at this. Jamie's got a million of these kinds of phrases. Like, well, that that person's crazy as a sprayed roach. You know? Right? Or... Or one of the ones that I grew up with, she's as nervous as a long-tailed cat in a room full of rocking chairs. You know? <clears throat> or whatever these little quips might be that we come up with. This, this, this When Jesus says, uh, the kingdom is like a mustard seed, everybody would have known what, they, what he was talking about. It was very familiar for people to start statements. Well, that's as small as, or that's as, that's as tiny, or that's as insignificant, that's as nothing as a mustard seed. And Jesus is saying, I mean, remember, what, what would you expect? What do you expect the king to do? Jesus is saying there's a humility to the kingdom. It's not a power movement. It's a mustard seed movement. It doesn't look very impressive. I mean, its leader was not groomed in a palace. He was a carpenter for Pete's sake. He was convicted as a criminal. Right? Its first emissaries were, well, they were fishermen and social outcasts. And honestly, that's not very impressive, but that's why, that's exactly why it is so subversive. The kingdom advances, we're being told here, through weakness and humility and prayer and suffering, and not through human will and coercive power and influence. And the implication is just this that it belongs to the weak and the helpless. It is not the strong or the talented or the successful who experience. Power of the kingdom. It's the poor in spirit, the people who know their problems are beyond them. And if you read, if you read the history books, or if you listen to presidential addresses, you would think by the way those books read, and by the way the men in power talk, that it would be the emperors and the czars, and the kings and the queens, and the prime ministers and the executives that are the primary movers and shakers of world history. What Jesus says here directly contradicts this way of thinking. It's not those with their hands on the mantle of power that are the ones who move history. Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is advancing, but not in the legislative chambers or the courthouses or the throne rooms of this world. The kingdom's like a mustard seed. It takes root and it grows quietly among those who submit themselves to the will of God. It's not through kings and power brokers of human history that God will affect His purposes. It's through the little minority bands of people who put their faith in Jesus and have committed to living as His disciples. That, that's so upside down. Jesus says, that's exactly what I'm talking about. You see, there's a reversal. You see, there's a reversal that takes place. And you see it in Ezekiel 17, which is our call to worship, where the Lord says, I I bring low the high tree, and I make high the low tree. I dry up the green tree and make the dry tree flourish. There's a reversal. That's, That's just another way of saying all these things that Jesus says, you know, over and over again. Like, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Or those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Or... The first will be last, and the last will be first. You know, all those statements are are underlining a defining basic reality of the kingdom. It's upside down. It creates a reversal. The strong and the wise of this world, and the rich and the powerful, the quote-unquote high trees are often on the outside, and the poor and the weak and the broken, the quote-unquote low trees are those who come in. And you see, the kingdom is in opposition to all pride all human pride and selfishness. It is the counter-revolution to human sin and rebellion. And at the very heart at the very heart of sin is a desire to boast in our own strength, in our own wisdom, to boast in ourselves. Sin is wanting to have your name in lights. It's wanting other people to make a big deal out of you. That's what sin is. But the kingdom of God comes in opposition to all human boasting. I mean, human pride and selfishness is what's wrong with the world. And that's why we're in the mess we're in so the only solution then, the only solution is humility, and that's exactly what Jesus is getting at. That there's a profound selfishness and arrogance at the core of sinful humanity and human community. And so there is a profound humility at the core of the kingdom of heaven. It's like a mustard seed. It's a mustard seed movement. It doesn't look like much until you see with the eyes of faith. And only the weak and the helpless experience its power. So Jesus is calling us to repentance. This is what he always does in matthew 's gospel. The kingdom of heaven isn 't near is, is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is near. repent i mean he 's calling us to reevaluate how we measure things, to rethink the way we live our life, to repent of being in a hurry of demanding that he do things in our timetable of thinking that that you know success really is something that can come overnight and to not be willing to put in the hard work to, to, you know, to receive the harvest that God promises He wants us to Repent of thinking of success merely in terms of quantitative and not qualitative factors. To think that a large crowd or a big church or the bigger the church, you know, the obviously the more powerfully God is working there. And that's just not the case. He's calling us to repentance. And so at the end of this, I think what Jesus would have us think through is he would say, don't be discouraged when you feel weak. Or when you think you've messed up, that's unbelief unbelief because you still think it's your power that changes things. You think it's your plans that get things done and that's simply not true. That's your flesh. Hear me. That's your flesh disappointed that it can't take the credit for itself. So this is the way the kingdoms advance. It's it's small. It's hidden. It comes to and through the weak and the helpless. And so don't be discouraged Jesus says if you have to wait or if you can't see any progress or if you feel weak and helpless, don't give up. Don't quit. Don't give in to unbelief. Don't think Jesus has abandoned you. And this is why we have this parable. This is why this is here to teach us the way of the kingdom's advance, but also to make promises about the scope of the kingdom's advance. Jesus' is teaching in this parable is that the kingdom is hidden and small, but at the same time pervasive and penetrating. Now, think about the metaphor of the leaven with me for a minute as we think about this second point of the scope. The leaven, I had to look this up because I didn't know, but the leaven was a small piece of fermented dough from last week's bread that would be put into or added to the dough from this week's bread. And leaven or yeast, it's, it's a little bit different, but it's the same concept as yeast. But yeast is, a, yeast is a living organism that works its way through the dough and activates the sugars in the flours and turns them into carbon dioxide. Aren't you impressed that I know that? <laughs> no? Nobody is? Maybe it'll be on Jeopardy one night and I can make $10,000. Right? <clears throat> Jesus says, so, so it's, it's a living, I mean, literally, it's, ba- it's a bacteria, or I guess it's a fungus that, that, that moves throughout the dough and takes the sugars and converts those sugars to carbon dioxide so that, you know, everything rises and expands and then it, it hardens. Uh, and so Jesus says that's what the kingdom's like. It's a living thing that spreads and penetrates whatever it's in. For Jesus to say that the kingdom of heaven has come into the world, he means that it is penetrating into every square inch of the natural world in the human community. It's bringing the power of God into contact with human weakness and changing things, converting, converting hearts, changing neighborhoods and cities and political structures. I mean, I, I know this is, this is so kind of cheesy, but I just really was. I walked outside, and in my front yard we have this towering, I mean, it's this beautiful oak tree that if a hurricane ever comes, might chomp my house in half. Because it's just gigantic. And I was just walking outside and found this little acorn. And I thought, you know, every single thing that is needed to produce that is in this little thing. I mean, that's amazing. I mean, I mean, that that really is a remarkable thought. And that's exactly what Jesus wants us to think through here. That the kingdom of heaven is coming. So don't get impatient. Don't be discouraged because he says the mustard seed is going to become a tree that will grow so large that it will dwarf all of the other plants of the garden. And this is really kind of a stream of teaching that you see throughout the, the Old Testament scriptures, especially in the prophet Daniel, where Daniel talks about Daniel talks a lot about the kingdom of God, and he has all these metaphors for the kingdom of the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. It is this tree that is just a sprawling tree that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. He also talks about. He, he, he had, there's a story in Daniel 2 where Nebuchadnezzar, who's king, has a dream. And in his dream, he sees a statue that's made of different, you know, elements. The feet are one thing and the, the breast is another thing. And the, you know, the head is another gold and silver and all these different things. But then there's a rock and this rock comes rolling down off the mountain. And it just destroys uh, this statue and breaks it into a million pieces. And Daniel interprets the dream And he says it's this, that each of those different parts of that statue represent a kingdom, either the Babylonians or the Persians or the Romans. But out of the mountain comes a tiny little rock that is the kingdom that God will establish. And that rock will be so powerful and so penetrating and so pervasive that it will destroy, it will demolish the kingdoms of this world. And then Daniel goes on to say that rock, that tiny little rock, will become a huge mountain that will fill the earth. I mean, do you see see the connection I mean, this is the promise of the scripture about the kingdom of heaven, that the destiny of the kingdom of heaven is to fill the whole earth as the waters cover the sea, the prophets say. And so no matter how slow it may be in coming, no matter how little of Jesus's life and power you can discover in yourself or in your circumstances or in your friends and family, no matter how overmatched you may feel against your circumstances, it's coming. And so no matter what opposition you might face, don't lose heart, no matter what. Opposition you might face within your own life and heart. Don't give up. Don't get discouraged. Because if through faith and repentance you put yourself in the way of Jesus' working, then he will come and, and his power will come into your life and it will be like yeast that begins to work itself through the dough. One commentator in particular put it this way, and I just found this strangely comforting. It's, it's challenging, but at the same time it's very comforting. He says how futile it is then to try to contain... The kingdom of heaven, the sphere of activity of the kingdom of heaven in our lives. People, he goes on to say, find their hearts gripped by the message of the crucified Jesus. But they want to keep his influence away from their place of work or out of their social circle or away from the petty sins they've grown to cherish. But it's impossible to restrain the growth of the kingdom of God once it's rooted within, just as it is impossible to remove or contain the leaven that is placed inside the dough. If it is a true work of grace that is rooted in your heart, you will not contain it in a corner of your life. It will spread and shape in Christ's image your dreams, your goals, your affections, your leisure, your manner of speaking, your habits, your relationships, your use of money, your whole way of thinking and living. I mean, that may feel like a very small work. It may feel like a very small work, but that is what Jesus is doing in you if you've truly come to him in faith and repentance. The kingdom of heaven is coming, Jesus says. But there's a second thing that I want you to see about this. Uh, that comes out of this parable, and that is that he he says it comes to you on its way to somebody else. Do you see the description of the tree in verses thirty one and thirty two? He says that, that Jesus says that that the person or the the you know the kingdom comes and it's like a mustard seed, but eventually it grows and it becomes a tree that is so large and so strong that the birds of the air can come and nest and build you know build nests in its branches and find shelter and safety there. And in the prophets, this was a familiar metaphor again, and it meant that through Israel, which was God's people, that God would sprout Israel and make Israel a gigantic tree, and then the birds of the air, which were a metaphor or symbol for the nations of the earth, the Gentile nations would come, and through Israel, God would bring salvation to all the Gentiles, and and Israel's kingdom would grow and become this thing that filled the entire earth and that encompassed all the nations of the earth. And Jesus is saying just that. He's promising that you may feel like an acorn. (laughs) You may feel like an acorn, but the, but the kingdom of God is going to the nations. Jesus is riding out to conquer the nations, and it will advance until it encompasses the whole world. And you, you in your own life, may feel like a little acorn, but Psalm 1 says that those who medit- who delight in the law of the Lord and meditate on His law day and night can become like trees planted by streams of living water who who bear fruit in and out of season and whose leaf does not wither. There there can be a health and a stability and an emotional wealth that you can live your life with for the sake of other people, that you can be the kind of person who can make room for others and others can come and find safety and shelter with you. I mean, that we can be fruitful, not only, in other words, the kingdom's not just coming, but he's promising that it's coming to us, but it's coming to us for the sake of others. It's coming to us on its way to somebody else. And that's what it really means, means to live there and to begin to experience the power of the kingdom. And so we need to finish. And we do that by asking, so how does this happen? I mean, how do you do this, right? How do you then embrace weakness and not give in to despair and and discouragement? How do you content yourself when God's promises are long in coming to you? And the answer to all those questions, I think, is you have to know where the power of the kingdom's advance comes from, and that's what we want to end with. I just want to end right there with this one thought. You see, all of the heart, the heart of all of the struggles and all of the weariness that we live with is really a failure to believe the truth of the gospel. We don't believe the gospel. And so we look inside ourselves for the power and the resources we need to accomplish whatever task is in front of us. We think, think, and this is really the attitude most of us live with, if this is going to get done, it will be because I do it. But more times than not, we can't do it. That's why we live so defeated and so discouraged. And so the power source is not our wills. It's not our plans. It's not our gifts. It's not our good works. In John 12 which was your assurance of pardon. Some Greeks come looking for Jesus, and it's like a, flip, like a switch flips. Jesus says, it's time. See, up to this point, in John's Gospel, he'd been going around saying to people, my time's not yet, you know, it's not my time yet, it's not my time yet. But when the Greeks come, seeking him, he says in verse 23, the hour has come for the Son of Man to be glorified, it's time. And then he uses a very familiar metaphor to describe what will happen next. He says in verse 24, Unless a grain of wheat falls into the earth and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, it bears much fruit. Now, what's he saying? what's that got to do with anything, really? I mean, you see, if you were to buy mustard seeds and keep them on your pantry shelf for 100 years, after 100 years, they would still be there, probably, unless they had disintegrated into dust. But they would just still be mustard seeds. In order to grow a mustard seed into a towering tree or an acorn into an oak, you have to bury the seed in the earth, and it has to die there. And once it dies, it bursts open and new life gushes forth. And Jesus is thinking about the kingdom of God. And he knew that there was only one way for the kingdom to advance in the world, to make all things new and to bring the justice of God to the nations through his people. He knew there was only one way that would happen. And that was that like the seed, he would have to be killed and buried in the earth. And that's exactly what happened to him. He was crucified by Roman soldiers and he died in our place. He died He did this because it was the only way to reconcile us to God. The wrath and the justice of God against sin demanded our death, but instead of requiring it of us, Jesus willingly stepped in in our place and offered himself. He took God's wrath in our place and he died and they buried him in the earth. (laughs) But here's the gospel that did not signal his defeat because the grave could not hold him. And after three days, he exploded up out of the grave, much like the plant shoots explode out of the dying seed. And it was that act of sacrificial love, that explosion of love and new life that provides the power for the kingdom's advance. Jesus. Jesus is the mustard seed. And his tree is the only one we can really take refuge in. And now by the Spirit, just like the leaven, he is working his way through our lives and throughout the world. And if you put your faith in him to trust him, To save you if you if you put yourself in the way of his working, then no matter how small or insignificant or forgotten you may feel, no matter how little you might understand or how new you might be to Christianity or how long you've been waiting for him to deliver on to deliver on his promises, no matter what discouragement and despair or frustration you might be facing in your life, he can take hold of you. His love and power can come into your life and create an explosion of grace in you that will bear fruit and even fruit for the sake of others. Is that amazing? I mean, does that feel, do you feel, does that feel like good news? And there's only one way that we can experience the power and that explosion of love that the kingdom brings, and that is that like Him, we must die. Because again, Jesus says, unless a grain of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it remains alone. But if it dies, there's an explosion of life that comes out of that death that leads. Uh, to much, much fruit, and so Jesus says, "Don't be discouraged. Don't be discouraged. If you feel weak, don't be discouraged. If you're waiting a long time, don't be discouraged. If you feel like you're just dying on the inside, that's exact. Yes, that's exactly right, because I'm going to bring life out of that. But man, that's hard, isn't it? So let's pray together this morning that God would give us grace to do just that, Lord Jesus. We are so grateful." As we look at this text and we think of all of the ways that, that we easily get discouraged in our lives and all of, the, all of the things that we could count as defeats and all of the um, frustrations and um, discouragements and the circumstances that cause us to despair. And so we're grateful that you come and you say, listen, don't give up, don't lose heart. The kingdom of heaven is advancing. It's, it looks like a mustard seed. But it's coming, and eventually, through the power of the Spirit, it will become, in us and in our city and in our world, a tree that will dwarf all the other plants of the garden. Jesus, said the promise of the Scripture is that even though the kingdom of heaven may be hidden from us now, it may be uh, out of the way, it may be something we have to strain to see, that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that you are Lord. And the, the, the knowledge of the glory of God will cover the earth as the waters cover the seas. And there will be no more pain and no more suffering and no more death and no more sorrow. For the old order of things will pass away, but the new will come. So give us great faith to be patient. Give us great faith to embrace weakness and suffering. uh, And teach us to pray that you might bear fruit in us uh, for the sake of others and for the sake of your glory. And we pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. Uh, so no matter how wide the chasm might be between your expectations and your actual experience, between, you know, the promises of God and, and what your circumstances and the realities of your life say, don't fill up that gap with unbelief. Uh, the call this morning is to fill it up with, with faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ, that because he died in your place, there is now power available to you through him and through his spirit to begin to live faithfully even while we wait for God to bring uh, the fullness of his promises to our lives. Because Jesus died in our place and died the death we should have died and has lived the life we should have lived, the Father can now speak these words that pro- are promised in the benediction over us. Uh, that no matter who you are, no matter how weak, no matter how bad you've blown it, no matter how sinful or despairing you might be, uh, that if you put your faith in Jesus and look to him, uh, then the Father pours out the blessing all of the blessings of his resources upon your life. And that's what's promised in these words. So receive this in faith then. May this feed your faith as you live, uh, waiting for God to fulfill his word in your life. May the Lord bless you and keep you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you his peace, both now and forevermore. Amen. Go in his peace.